every Arizona homeowner's best friend, and it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house, your weekend wake-up tradition. Watch where you walk. back Arizona. I'm in all the way back. Back 40 today. It's the first Saturday of the month. Brand new month, August 1st. We've got Julie Murphy with the Arizona Farm Bureau in talking all things farm fresh. And our, our goal with this segment every month is to bring commodities that are coming off the farms and ranches right here locally in Arizona and are hitting supermarket uh, shelves and uh, throughout Arizona and connect you with local Local produce, local meats, uh, support your local ag industry, a $23 billion industry. Uh, a little bit of that makeup, $63 million in cantaloupe. Would not have thought that on cantaloupe. $72 million in milk. Hogs and pigs, $48 million. But today, we're talking something that doesn't make up the one of the, the shareholders of the pie chart. Yes, the top 16, but... They happen to be one of the fastest growing segments of our ag commodities because people like Mark Barris, who's online with us today, it keeps planting wonderful vineyards with uh, perfect wine grapes that are excellent for growing here in the state of Arizona. We have such a wonderful wine country segment, and they do say, they tell us that every state in the union has some wine, but I'm telling you, Arizona is emerging as a very significant state for wine, for wine grape growing and also making wine. So, Mark, are you on with us? Yes. Good morning, everybody. Well, welcome, and thanks for being on with us. I yeah, wanted to... Now, yes. I just, we need to mer- verify FCC rules. You're not sampling your product live on air, right? Uh, no, no, uh, no, sir. Okay, I just, just making sure. Darn it. We make the soap spirits, too, so no, no uh, spike mimosas this morning. There you go. And for some just quick background on Mark, he and his buddies that have invested, and that's one of the, hence one of the reasons they called it Flying Leap, they were all pilots in the military. I want to say you were all Air Force pilots, unless one of them came from one of the other branches, but... Um, and Mark and his buddies, they're members of Arizona Farm Bureau. And I kind of ro- rotate through all my wine growers in the state. Like Sam Pillsbury is a member. Um, Jim and Ruth Graham are members. In fact, Jim Graham was one of our leaders in our Cochise County Farm Bureau for a number of years. And he got too busy with his winemaking that he, he stepped down. Of course, they like to rotate presidents anyway. But Mark, tell us a little bit about... Flying Leap and what inspired it and how things are going now. Yeah, Flying Leap started out and we were incorporated in 2010. We're celebrating our 10-year anniversary this year. And uh, we were originally uh, slated out as a very small-scale farming ag operation. Our our original goal was to uh, grow wine grapes and sell them to the state's wine industry. And it was just going to be a very small-scale farming operation. And from that, we morphed. Uh, you know, we very quickly realized that uh, just selling bulk fruit was not, uh, you know, it was not sustainable. There was no sustainable profit in that at the time. And so we knew we had to vinify the crop into wine. So we began making wine uh, for a couple of years first by way of custom crush with a neighboring 
winery, and then we began producing our own vintages in 2013. And um, and then we established, uh, we bought into a, a retail market in uh, Elgin, which is it's about uh, 40 miles south of uh, the Tucson city center area, roughly. So it's southern Arizona, kind of uh, sandwiched between the uh, the border with Mexico and I-10, if you will. And, uh, you know, and that launched our retail operations and our sales grew very, very rapidly. And uh, as our sales grew, we had to make more wine. And so we had to plant more grapes. We ended up planting uh, so far here in Arizona. We have uh, four vineyards and uh, that we own and operate. And we also have now expanded our agricultural footprint down into Mendoza, Argentina. Oh, wow. So we have a collaborative partnership that we're working on there with two families, the Grody family and the Hoffman family, um, to develop high-quality Malbec grapes down at the foot of the Andes Mountain and, and mountains. And we're bringing in some beautiful Malbec wines now for our customers. It's really, really an exciting time to be in the wine industry. I'll tell you what. So you've, uh, <laughs> you guys have been at it for 10 years, mm-hmm. you and your buddies. And um, it's a lot different than being a pilot in the Air Force. Yeah, no one's shooting at you. Uh, <laughs> so uh, always, always, uh, always welcome. But sometimes, yeah, yeah. All, yes, all, all three of us were Air Force pilots. Mark, Tom, and I—we all met when we were uh, freshmen at the uh, U.S. Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, Colorado, back in 1988, a long time ago. But uh, we've been the best of friends since then. Our military careers took us. Uh, we all served in different roles. Uh, in, in, uh, I was a, a developmental test pilot for many years, and I came out of the, the, uh, the special operations aviation business. Mark flew, uh, my business partner, he flew Air Force Two. He flew a 757 around the world, flying our first lady and vice presidents to destinations all over the globe. Wow. Captains flew C-17s, and uh, he was a global airlift pilot. And uh, we all did our thing, and we, uh, of all things, None of us are from Arizona originally, but we ended up in Arizona, and then we ended up in the wine business. And I I have a sense that you have a real passion for it, because I've been to your place, and you are expanding it, and it's beautiful. So the pilots were grounded, but it seems like you're flying around ground level at Flying Leap. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, the wine wine industry, you know, Arizona doesn't have a what i would call a long standing uh tradition of wine growing it's fairly young in terms you know when you look around the country arizona's wine industry has about a 40 year history it's been longer i mean there was there there were wine grapes planted um back you know when father kino was here back in the 18th century and so there there is a history of winemaking here but in terms of commercial modern commercial wine production the industry's between 30 and 40 years old, depending on, on how you, you gauge that. And, uh, it, you know, the wine industry, he really, really took off in 2007 and 2008 when the law was changed to allow wineries to have tasting rooms and to directly distribute their products to on and off premise wholesale accounts. And uh, there, there was an awful lot of uh, grape planting that took place between, I would say, about 2008 and 2014, right in that time which is when Flying Leap, when we developed our business as well. So I believe the state produces around 300,000 gallons a year, I think is the total. Which is pretty significant when you think about it. And 
you know, Father Kino, he wasn't growing it commercially, and now you guys are. And so I'm, I promise I'm doing my work on behalf of every wine grower here that, in fact, I wrote a blog not too long ago. It's called Seven Tips to Ensure You'll Drink the Wine You Like. That's on Arizona Farm Bureau's website. Mm -hmm. And I tell people just plug in wine in our search bar and that article and some other articles on wine will pop up. But so status of your operation right now, despite us being in the midst of the pandemic, because it is true for a lot of our retail wine growers, especially when you had tasting rooms, I think the number you told me months ago was literally 80 to 90% of your business overnight just shut down. So well, How, not, not our overall business. Okay. Um, our retail. Retail. So yeah. where are you and the rest of you guys? Are we? Can we get back uh, to these know, wine tasting rooms? I, I don't know. I don't have any industry data within Arizona. I, you know, I just, uh, little bits and pieces of data I've gotten from people, you know, suggests that the, uh, many have, have simply just paused, taken a pause on retail, and they're doing home deliveries. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, you know, I know how much our own sales have been impacted, but Flying Leap is a much, much different animal than most of the Arizona wine industry. In fact, I'd say we're among the most unique in the Southwest, primarily because we're so heavily diversified and we are vertically organized to a much higher degree than most of our competitors. And because of that, we're, we're farmers, we're producers, we're seller, we, we do our own cellaring operations and blending. Plus, remember, we also have a distillery. So we're not just producing wines. We're also producing, uh, you know, vodka and, and brandy and liqueurs. And what can you produce with a distillery that is in demand right now? High-proof alcohol for making hand sanitizer. So we were able to quickly pivot during the pandemic to producing other products. And it, it was at least, I would say, sustaining. It wasn't like it was, you know the sun coming out, but we were at least able to keep our our light bill paid and keep our folks working as we transitioned into distilling our 2019 grape harvest into high-proof neutral grape spirit for making hand sanitizer that we supplied all over the country, quite frankly. That's an amazing pivot, and we've had to do so much of that during this pandemic and in the wine industry, too. And, you know, Arizona Wine, you're award-winning. I think of Kent Calligan, I, he's consistently winning awards. I think of Todd Bostock and Dos Cabezas. Um, you guys with Flying Leap, uh, Jim Graham, the, some of the awards that he's won on his wine. So what are we doing that's so right here in Arizona? Well, the, first of all, the... Uh, we have one minute, by the way. Yeah, I, yeah you're right. Those, those guys are some really, really talented winemakers producing some incredible products. And you're right. They've they've received some accolades locally, nationally, regionally, and it's wonderful for our industry. Um, primarily because back around the year 2000, some real talent moved into the industry. There's a lot of innovation in Arizona. It's a very small, scrappy wine industry, and there's a lot of folks doing some really interesting things with wine. Well, what is interesting? Interesting means diverse. It means uh, you know different types of wines and some risky types of fermenting and things like this that are producing some beautiful products. And yeah. one thing, Julie, that's really critical for you and the listeners to understand is that extraordinarily high-quality wine grapes are grown in Arizona. Okay? Um, awesome. Wine is merely an expression of the fruit, and the fruit is where it's at. Cool. You cannot take uh, poor-quality wine grapes and turn them into a good wine. It cannot be done. Uh, and so, 
a good wine comes from good wine grapes, and it's a one-to-one relationship. There is no other way to get good wine but by way of good wine grapes. Well, let's continue that in the next segment. So, I don't know how, because uh, I know facts and statistics kind of change, but according to one I found, is the United States is number four. So that means we're top tier, number four on the list of the world's top wine producers, Italy, France, and Spain occupy the top three spots, respectively. So, you know, that's a great segue into the second segment, Mark, you know, wine grapes, and you touched on it. What's our state's overall potential as as a winemaking state? You kind of hinted to that because of the quality of the wine grapes that we produce. And then what would be your prognosis for the 2020 fall harvest, which is coming up? So we, so I, we have taken meticulous uh, notes in our fields, and uh, I'm looking at a far uh, smaller harvest than I had originally predicted. So I'm saying I, I believe that our overall harvest yield would be down about 20 to 25 percent. Uh, at Flying Leap, I'm not, I don't have data on other people's vineyards, but we're looking at a, a, a smaller harvest, which is uh, really a function of the heat and lack of rain, <laughs> believe it or not. It's just been really, really hot out there, and we haven't gotten any rain. We normally start getting rain, uh, you know, in about you know mid-July time frame. We start to get some pretty significant rainfall. We just haven't had that. And Romy was bringing up an interesting point in the break. We always get the question not always, but regularly during our nursery hour, which is the third Saturday of every month in our 8 o'clock hour, what grapes can I grow to to make wine? And really, when you're looking at the lower elevations, Phoenix and Tucson and Casa Grande, at those lower elevations, there really isn't a grape that you would enjoy the wine, <laughs> drinking as a wine. You know, these higher elevations and Elgin and uh, Cornville, where the wine industry is really growing, you're at a higher elevation. And Mark, what type of grape varieties are you growing? Well, so I can give you an exact answer. And in Arizona, most wine grapes are grown in Wilcox. Okay? Wilcox is the undisputed king of grape viticulture in the state of Arizona. Uh, their second, the, the, the number two is Elgin. And Elgin produces about 21%. A small fraction of the state's wine grapes are growing up in the uh, northern part of the state. Um, but there's, there's plantings going on in all three. But Wilcox is really the predominant wine-growing region. And every, every winery you visit, or not every winery, but most of them will have some amount of Wilcox fruit in their, in their wines. And Wilcox grapes are grown at about 4,100 to 4,300 feet. Uh, depending on on which vineyard they're pulling grapes out of, our vineyards out there are on the higher end. Um, in Elgin, uh, we're sitting at five thousand feet, so it's much much higher in Elgin. Tucson, you're looking at about uh, eighteen hundred to twenty two hundred feet. In Phoenix, you're looking anywhere from eleven hundred to fourteen hundred feet, much much lower. Yes, about what types? In Arizona, the undisputed thing of wine grapes is Syrah. Uh, without question raw is by far the most common wine grape that's grown here we grow it we don't grow much of it uh, but we do grow it um, number two is either Grenache or Mervedra 
uh, I'm going with a little bit of a, some dated data on that, but uh, Grenache is, uh, it's actually a, a difficult grape to grow. Uh, it's a very tender, very delicate grape that produces a, a soft raspberry flavored, very luscious wine that's very popular for rosés in particular. And then Morvedra is a, is a grape from Spain. Uh, it, it's referred to by a number of different names, either Monastrel or Mataro. Grows well in Arizona. You'll find a lot of Morvedra. Number four is Petite Syrah. Uh, is also referred to as Duraf. And Petite Syrah, which is not even related to the Syrah grape, uh, is actually quite common in Arizona nowadays. And then there's some white grapes that are common. Uh, Viognier is very common. So is a, an Italian uh, varietal called Malvasia Bianca. Beautiful white grape that's grown here. We actually grow 24 different kinds of grapes at Flying Leap. Uh, the most uh, the the two grapes that we grow predominantly are Grenache, Unier Blanc, and uh, and Petit Verdot. Those are the three that we have the, the the most acreage of. Were you influenced to grow the grapes you're growing? Because I know for every one of the wine growers and winemakers, they're picking different varieties. And and granted, I'm sure some of that is because of the region that they're in. But uh, were you influenced? Besides climate and sunshine in Arizona, was it also market or you just... Yeah. Okay, so we, m- many people plant grapes just based on w- what they like, which is always the, the, the worst way to do it. What we did is, is we knew that in a small market, we we're going to have to sell wines that were rare, uh, that carried a substantial premium. And so uh, we planted grapes that we knew carried a significant premium. And then we thinned that list down to the ones that had proven success in Arizona. We didn't want to experiment. So, and then we wanted to plant most of our stuff on grafted rootstock because we, we didn't want, you know, we wanted to do that as an insurance policy as farmers, essentially, to make sure that uh, our grapes were drought tolerant and disease tolerant. So that primarily it was market stuff, though, Julie. We wanted, we wanted grapes that produced really, really good wines that had a proven track record of success in this climate. And how many total acres of wine vineyards do y'all have in the ground right now? You know, that is a really good question. And acreage, I've always uh, chuckled at acreage because acreage means different things to different people. Okay, and we'll talk about those differences here. We can do a lot of things here, but we can't stop the clock. Time for about an hour, hour news break. We're talking with Mark Burrs of the Flying Leap Ranch and Julie Murphy with the Arizona Farm Bureau. Drinking bottle gallons and screaming for more. They're drinking wine, booty, booty, drinking wine. Wine, booty, booty, drinking wine. Mark, I learned this from you that despite the common perception that all wines get better with age, more than 90% of all wines should be consumed within one year of their production. So uh, as you're kind of explaining your acres and how many uh, vines per acre and all that fun stuff, tell us a little bit more about that. And then I'm wanting to ask you about the market you serve, like who's your perfect profile customer? Sure, yeah. So in terms of acreage, Flying Leap has about 40 planted acres of grapes. So um, that's like actual planted acres of grapevines on the ground, about 40. A little bit more, but I'm just, I'm just rounding down. Um, if, if we turned every single grape that we grow in Arizona into wine, we could make about 8,000 cases of wine, okay? Um, that 
what's uh, in uh, and most. I'd say I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I wish I did, but I'm going to take a stab at this, Julie. And I think um, the average American winery produces about between two and three thousand cases. Okay, so Flying Leap is a fairly fairly large small winery, but we're not the largest. There's there's several uh, that are larger than us here in Arizona. But I don't believe anybody in Arizona is producing more than 15,000 cases a year. So it's a small production state. Um, all of the, we don't buy grapes from anybody. And, uh, and until this year, we, we haven't sold grapes to anybody. But we, uh, we are selling some fruit this year um, to some others. So now, in terms of uh, wine, <clears throat> you're, you're correct. Most, first of all, there's a bunch of things about wine that a lot of people don't know that they assume they do know. One of them, most red wine is not aged in oak barrels. That's a, that's a common myth. Most red wine is tank aged. Uh, for example, all of our wine that we make in Argentina is aged in concrete tanks. So it's tank aged. So uh, a, an oak barrel is a, uh, is a great way to age red wine, but there's a lot of risks with oak. Oak's very expensive. And any wine that's coming out of an oak barrel will tend to have a, uh, a pretty substantial premium put upon it because it's much more expensive uh, to oak-age wine than it is tank-age wine, and the barrels themselves are quite expensive. And there's a lot of risk that goes in to barrel aging. So, uh, yeah, and, but, but, and, and also most red wine doesn't age well. Most doesn't. And uh, so... Well, that's kind you know, of exciting for me because I'm not a wine investor. So when I buy it, I like to drink it. So if you're telling me I should drink it in a year or two, I'll do that. I'll join you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Most most wine is best consumed when it's young, but that's not ubiquitous. There's a lot of wines that do age really, really well. Um, you know, but there's a lot of folks that spend thousands and thousands of dollars on a 50-year-old bottle of wine and open it to find out it's vinegar. So, um you know, so the older a wine is, the riskier it is. But you can also be rewarded because a finely aged wine is one of life's true, true indulgences if you get a really good one. So uh, that's kind of the, the, the mystery of wine and the beauty of it. But most red wines are best consumed young when they're fresh, especially wines that are uh, light tannins like Grenache, for example, that we grow. Young Syrahs are very spicy, great with food. Um, a lot of white wines are delicious when they're fresh. Uh, they're best when they're fresh. Anyway, that's, Tell, that's all matter. Mark? Yes, sir. I got, this is the most important question about wine that's been going on for years. Cork or screw top? Uh, it depends. Okay, this depends. So scientifically speaking, there is no doubt that a screw top is the best way to seal a bottle of wine and protect the wine from oxidation. Okay. A screw top is by far the best. That's been mathematically proven repeatedly through testing. However, a cork uh, is, is, is a lot funner. People like popping corks. They're traditional. It's been done for centuries, of course. And also, a cork does allow a small amount of oxygen to reach the wine in the bottle. And that tiny amount of oxygen is considered to be a... It, it can really enhance the flavor of the wine in the bottle. So... If you're going to age a wine, a cork is considered the best way to age a wine, but it's riskier because you can get cork taint, and um, if the cork isn't really high quality, 
uh, you can get some some uh, the wine contained. I will tell you this: in a bottle of we we use cork on all of our wine. The cork that goes on into our bottles is more expensive than the bottle. Oh, wow. And speaking <laughs> yeah. of corks, a cork tease is someone who talks about the wine he or she will open but never opens it, which I think is just scandalous yeah. because we should always open our wine. So tell me, give me the profile of your customers and tell us, you know, you're open for business even on the retail side, even though you're doing a lot of wholesale yeah. and you've got your club members. But if I'm going to check out Flying Leap, you know, who's your profile customer? Give us the lowdown. Our, our typical customer, okay, is 40 years old and older, typically married. And, uh, you know, that, that person walks around with a, uh, a flying leaf designator right on their, right on their back because uh, <laughs> that is who we are marketing our product to, and that's who primarily purchases our product and joins our, our, our wine club. 40, 50, and over. Typically, you're talking Gen X and above. Millennials, uh, millennials will drink wine, but they won't buy it. And millennials are into craft beers right now and spirits, which we also make. Um, so you're, you actually are taking care of the whole spectrum of the market then. And, we try to. And if I want to come up with my friends, and you know everybody's going to head out up there now that we've heard about you. So you know, we're in a pandemic did you, I heard you expanded your tasting room? Hey, let me tell you something, Julie, and and uh, this is awesome because number one, wine country is a getaway. You can get away from the city. So if you're looking to get away to a place that's less crowded, less hurried, and way more relaxing, nothing beats a road trip down to wine country. Number two, our property is gigantic. We have massive outdoor patios with beautiful gardens that are meticulously maintained with shade. And uh, we also have two large, spacious tasting rooms. So if you're concerned about being elbow to elbow with somebody, that is not happening. It's not going to happen. Rosie has a I, question for you. Oh, I, th- I think Mark, yeah. I, Mark just hit it on the head. Being in Arizona since the 60s, when Mark and his buddies were freshmen at the Air Force Academy, I could be driving anywhere through southern Arizona. I could walk into the stage stop in Patagonia. I could walk into the Copper Queen. I could walk into the Gadsden. I could go to Sonoida Inn. No reservations. If I was a repeat customer, I could get a room for $19. Yeah. Then the wine industry hit southern Cochise County, and you can't get a room down there for <laughs> under 100 bucks. and you better call and make a reservation first. Yes. I don't think the wine industry has gotten near the credit the Office of Tourism should give it for driving people into these communities. Camp Verde, Cottonwood, Wilcox, Bisbee, Sonoida, yes. Elgin, Patagonia. Uh, I, I mean, I've seen it happen just in my little old life, just trying to get rooms down there because that's one yep. of my favorite places to vacate. And Sonoida, Elgin, Chamber of Commerce used to do a three-day event called Wine, Dine, and Unwind. Me and Jennifer would make a reservation a year in advance and go down there and stay at Walker Ranch, and we, we just had a ball. So that's the one unsung credit that the wine industry really should – they should own that. And ag loves it because it's one of the most significant products that adds value to a raw commodity, in this case wine grapes. And, Mark, you've been adding value for the last 10 years. Um, I And if anyone goes to your uh, website – uh, Flying Leap Vineyards and uh, 
distillery, they'll get the whole lowdown and they'll get to see some of the beautiful shots from the photography of what your wine tasting room looks like. And you have other wine tasting rooms throughout the state of Arizona, correct? Yeah, we do. We we have retail venues in Tubac, Tucson, Bisbee, Wilcox, and Prescott. And uh, so we, we take our, our show on the road, if you will, and we we we, uh, we have a very, very large wine club. And so uh, for us, we, we put venues around the state so that our wine club members have convenient access to uh, their member benefits, uh, which is which is a really nice little little way that we, we, we provide service and value to our club members. But Rosie, I, I agree with you 100%. And uh, the wine industry in the state has created jobs. You got to remember there, I, th- I think there are 15 counties in Arizona and you know, Cochise and Santa Cruz County in particular are among among the poorest per capita, and that's where the wine industry is. And so, planting grapes is in, investing money and capital and bringing jobs to some of the parts of our state that need jobs and capital infusion most. And speaking of that, I mean, obviously, you've already expanded. When you first started out, you guys thought you were just going to grow the wine grapes and 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 sell the sell them, and now you you've become retail wholesale club members. Um, and in 30 seconds, are you expanding your market? Almost exponentially. We are one of the only Arizona wineries that I'm aware of that has their own distribution company. So we just, there was so much headwind in getting products distributed with the major distributors that we just decided to make our own distribution company. That's what we've done. And so we directly distribute our products to wholesale accounts. We primarily distribute in Tucson because it's close to where we make our wines. It's much, much easier to provide service to our accounts there. But we, uh, we're statewide now. We have a, a rapidly growing wholesale market up in northern Arizona right now, which is really wonderful. And, yeah, we, we are growing. We're bringing in more wine. We are up to – we've uh, we got 36 employees currently at Flying Leap, and uh, we're, we just hired four more. So we're, we're growing, we're expanding, and we're bringing jobs to this part of the state. It's wonderful. Romy has a question for you. You gave an incredible yeah. tease about your acreage and southern Arizona's beautiful country, and you've got all this room and all this space. But you didn't say how to get there. Ah, it's a piece of cake. You yeah. take 10 south, you get to Tucson. When you're heading out of Tucson towards El Paso, you'll get to Scenic Highway 83. It's, a, it's a, the, third exit, or the second exit past Houghton. As you're going out of Tucson, you can't miss it. There's a big, beautiful scenic highway sign. It'll take you to wine country. You just turn south, and you're going to go 30 miles. You're going to get to the small town of Sonoida, and from there you can branch out. I believe there are 13 wineries down here right now, and you can uh, you can uh, buy a glass at one property, and you can use that at all the other properties. And uh, there's a lot of tour buses that come down here, limousines, family trips. You can bring a picnic down here. We're in this little bitty town of Elgin. Uh, and it's, I can't, you know, I can, I know you're all in the radio studio right now, but I'm sitting out here right now in our vineyard and you just cannot believe how peaceful, quiet and gorgeous it is down here today. I've got a question for you, Mark. When, when Jennifer and I were in Elgin about a month ago, we were just off a road at Lyle Canyon and Mm -hmm. we were watching one orchard, one grape orchard, and we counted six antelope, four turkey. And I think there were seven deer, uh, two different varieties, a whitetail and a mule. And, and that doesn't count the birds. I mean, what, what do y'all do? Uh, how uh, appealing is the grape to wildlife? 
You know, that's a great question. The, we have we, we obviously fence our vineyards to protect them from animals. The deer the deer still get in here. They like to nibble on the grapes, especially in the fall when the grapes are really really sweet. Deer have a sweet tooth. I have learned. Um, the the but we also have javelina down here, and yeah. believe it or not, the birds. Yes. You know, I'd say probably about five percent of our total grape crop goes to the birds. <laughs> they eat it. <laughs> Not a lot we could do about it. We've tried every technique we know of, and there's just really nothing other than netting them. Rosie knows some Cajun recipes to take care of that. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, we also own a barbecue company called Arizona Rub, and you can go on there to our recipe section and all kinds of great recipes for cooking up your cooking with wine and cooking with barbecue. We've been talking with Mark Burrs of the Flying Leap Ranch. You know, the one thing that hasn't been said this whole time is, Mark, thank you for your service. Oh, hey, it was great. It was a pleasure to serve uh, serve our country, both Mark, Tom, and I, uh, all of us did, and it's, uh, it's wonderful. We actually have several veterans on staff, and I will pass along your kind words to them as well. FlyingLeapVineyard.com. Something tells me we could have just left the mic on and and checked out the rest of the broadcast left at 11 and mark mark could have just he could have done it all <laughs> filled the whole airtime that was a lot of fun flying leap vineyard formed by three air force veterans i happened to look up the arizona rub cuz i'm a i'm i'm, or, I'm, <laughs> or, I'm ordering it right well, now <laughs> i was going to go through and order just one of each but there's a lot I just expected to find one or two, so we'll have to... I found the six-pack sampler package. I'm ordering it right now. All right, all right. (laughs) ArizonaRub.com. I need a key into that. (laughs) Some other highlights around the ag industry. Cal, Maine, the country's largest egg producer, said sales rose 62% over last year. Wow. Big increase, which is really interesting because they're obviously a retail egg the supplier to grocery stores, but there was another article talking about the number of salmonella cases that have uh, cropped up around the country because of people for the first time starting their own backyard uh, flocks. Yeah, you know, I'm going to stick to Hickman's eggs. They've got it down to a science and an art. I don't want to risk salmonella just because I started chickens in my backyard. <laughs> well, it was really funny. The article's advice was don't cuddle or kiss your chickens. I'm like, why would you do that? No. Well, if you get that Mary Jane Farms magazine, they tell you how to make diapers for your chickens so you can have them in your house. Oh, that's Uh-oh. beyond me. And a form of chicken I don't think I'll be trying is KFC uh, last month debuted 3D printed chicken nuggets. Doesn't work for me. I think, I think I'll stick with the regular on that. <laughs> leave, leave that to Moscow. They can have that. Yeah. Your mic's not on. Thank goodness. Uh, And then a story this week floating around everywhere is if you get these mystery seeds that you didn't order or came unsolicited, uh, don't throw them away. The ag department wants them to analyze them. Yes. The two things, uh, don't plant them. Just because you get something free in the mail doesn't mean you should use it. So don't plant them. And then the Arizona Department of Ag is asking that we send them to them. And they've got more than one location that you could, quote, unquote, drop them off if you receive them. Uh they think it's some kind of scam, and they go they delineate that. You can go on to Arizona Farm Bureau's website, azfb.org, and we've got an article, Mystery Seeds 
not fake news. Here's what to do. And again, the first thing is avoid planning them. And you might ask, well, why does Arizona Department of Ag want them? They're actually going to test them and see if they're invasive, an invasive species and just exactly what's in the packet. So don't open the seeds, turn them into the ag. Let's find out what they are. Yeah. Uh, and another story that uh, guests we've had on in recent future, uh, recent past was Frank Martin of the Crooked Sky Farms. And, yes. Uh, sad article we pulled uh, out of it from this month was that he was given a 90-day clear your property from the city. Right. It was an eminent domain, but good news. Uh, the city of Phoenix has backed off, and part of it is because of his fan base, his customers, and Arizona Farm Bureau have been publicizing it and get, trying to get him a little bit of promotion. And they're saying, why are you doing this to one of our favorite farmers? Uh, I think that's part of why the city has backed off. Who knows, during this pandemic, maybe they're saying we're not going to do eminent domain because what they were intending to do with it, the last time I heard, don't quote me on this, I think something like a sewage treatment plant, you push off a farmer and in Phoenix for a <laughs> and I know we're growing, but oh my goodness. So uh, Arizona Farm Bureau was able to also be part of that kind of exposure publicity and they've backed off. And so Frank's got at least, you know, it's not his land. He actually leases it from somebody that owns it. But in eminent dom domain, a city can come in and claim eminent domain, buy it at market price, and then go from there. But that's, you know, that's one of the things Arizona Farm Bureau has been doing for the last four months is we're checking in with all of our ag members because of this pandemic. My team, there's five of us, we're making three calls a day to our ag members to check on them, say, what can we do? And then we send them to the website with all the free resources, especially specific to COVID-19, and, you know, what can you do as an agriculturalist? Uh, USDA has some programs. The Small Business Administration had some programs that including uh, emergency loans, stuff like that. And, you know, we've had my team and I, it's been challenging because farmers farm, ranchers ranch, <laughs> they're working. And it's sometimes hard to nail them down. And if we're trying to reach one of our farmers that's out in the middle of, or ranchers, which out in the middle of nowhere, you might not get good cell connection. We finally get them literally on horseback and we just check in on them and see how they and their family are doing it. You know, the most common quip that I've gotten back from my ranchers, especially is Julie. We've been uh, sheltered in place for most of our ranching life anyway, and I have a freezer full of meat. <laughs> I'm okay. And then we proceed to just tell them thank you for their membership. Uh, ag members in Yuma and Maricopa County have to pay $180 a year. Uh, other counties, 142 But our associate members at $59 a year, they're the ones that support our farmers. An associate member, is, that's you, that's me, that's yes. homeowners. Homeowners. Uh, they support all of those 2,300 farmers that are members of Arizona Farm Bureau. Thanks for spending your Saturday morning, morning with us, azfb.org or fillyourplate.org to find local recipes and uh, commodities coming right off the farms and ranches in your neighborhood. Thank you, Romy.